0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the Ultimate Catalog Collection.
1: Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Metallica. It's continuing mission to explore strange new rifts, to seek out new fans, new commercial opportunities, to boldly go where everyone has gone before. um, Did uh, Battlestar Galactica a couple of weeks ago? I'm doing Star Trek this
0: week. What do you think?
2: You're just sitting here being a complete dick. (laughs) 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 Fuck you,
0: Lars. Yeah, Lars isn't a fan. I thought it was pretty cool, though. You little Danish twat.
2: (laughs) So why don't you go and sue Napster, you little Danish twat?
0: <laughs> it is really funny. <laughs> okay, Welcome folks, this to is the, the Ultimate co- Catalog Clash. I'm going to take Kevin's job yeah, do here. It. Do it. Do it right. You do it better than me. Welcome to the Ultimate Catalog Clash. This season, Kevin and I are breaking down 90s Metallica. That means we're talking about uh, the self-titled black album Load and reload i know uh chaz a good friend of ours is really interested to see what kevin brown thinks of load <laughs> and reload as am i uh i i maintain there's some good stuff on those records i can't wait to hear what kevin says though my name is Corey morissette uh joined as always uh by that english twat kevin brown and uh kevin uh your journey through metallica has been uh pretty positive so far we've uh, covered three sides uh, of this double album that is known as the black album or the self-titled album. It's only one of the biggest albums of all time, certainly the biggest metal album of all time, uh, 16 times platinum, uh, 30 uh, times uh, platinum uh, worldwide, over 30 million copies sold. And that's just the last time it was certified. Uh, It could be well over 50 by now because they haven't certified this thing in fucking forever. But it's one of the biggest records ever ever. and I, I, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually impressed. I, I, I wasn't sure how you're gonna take Metallica because you're one of those guys who's like eh, I'm too good for Metallica. Oh, I listen to, uh, Poncy British shit like a uh, Genesis and uh, oh, oh, you know, oh fuck, I'm too good for Metallica in the metal community. No, you're not, fucker. You're enjoying this. Corey, aren't
1: you? I'm just, 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 out of curiosity, is that an English accent or are you having a stroke right now? And we need to call both.
0: Someone? So I just want to make sure. Oh, both. Okay, okay, good, okay, good.
2: You're just sitting here being
0: a complete dick. You earned that again. <laughs> Fuck!
1: <laughs> we should tell people, if you didn't tune in last week, Corey has a new toy. I do! Um, Where you can punch in sound effects and you're going to hear Lars Ulrich's voice quite a lot in this episode and it's always fucking funny to me, so... I have different effects for my voice, too. Oh, English
2: <gasps>
1: Corey, you know what? What? With that deep voice sound effect, you could... Completely usurp the Sean Geek and Fast Rat podcast because we don't need them anymore. We don't need them to bring that sonorous bass tone to the podcasting community. (laughs) I am fully erect. I hate Winnipeg. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, we were talking about you know we're in so the last side of this album. Didn't know this album coming in. I knew sort of the bigger hits. I think I knew Enter Sandman. I was definitely familiar with Sad But True. I thought I would heard The Unforgiven, but I wasn't. Because when I listened to it, I was like, ah, I don't actually know if I know this song. And I knew nothing else matters more or less, but I'd never sat down and listened to it with a critical ear. So it's been a fantastic exercise in, okay, well, can I put my issues with this band to one side and listen to the music objectively and not subjectively? Like I said to you, Corey. I mean, the one thing that's really surprised me is I've done a pretty big turn on James Hetfield as a as a vocalist. Didn't know he's a good lyricist, so that's been a revelation. It's been great. Um, but as a vocalist, I'm I'm definitely much less bothered by the Hetfield thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I think so. he's A good fucking singer. So, he yeah.
0: really is very underrated. Very underrated singer, lyricist, and rhythm guitar player. Uh, I, yep. I'm a big uh, Papa Het fan, as he's known in, in the Met family. He's Papa Het. Uh, one thing, so you've gained an appreciation for James Hetfield. I, I've kind of deappreciated a little bit Lars Ulrich because... <laughs> uh, we have I, both succeeded in our missions. <laughs> <laughs> it, it hasn't bothered me too much, but I've actually graded some songs lower than I anticipated just because Lars puts in something that doesn't fit or doesn't work. And I, I do podcasts about Alex Van Halen. Who does the exact opposite? It seems like every fucking feel he does is purposeful. It, it, it enhances either the verse, the chorus, or the solo that that it's a part of. And it, it what this podcast is making me do is reevaluate uh, Alex Van Halen, and I'm bumping him up my list of top drummers in rock and roll history. Uh, he he was definitely top five heading in. He's higher now, and and Lars is is, is dropping. And I, I get everybody. And, and chaz is going to scream at us i'm sure he loves ours uh you know he he's he's just he's only the drummer in the biggest metal band of all time i get that but is a lot of that be- in spite of lars in his playing or because of uh before uh, i was kind of leaning because of now i'm leaning in spite of
1: well you know Corey, i formed a men's soccer team in saskatoon here many many years ago which i don't play on anymore because i'm i just don't play anymore but I regularly captained that team. I wore the number seven jersey. I played for that team in division two in men's soccer because I formed the fucking team and people couldn't kick me off it. And it's the same thing. He's only the he's only the drummer in Metallica because he formed the band. You know, if they could have kicked him out, I'm sure there's a couple of times they might've considered it. Um, you know, and the other thing too is like, we're coming into this uh, season off the back of covering Genesis, who has Phil Collins, who fucking hell did is no amazing. Wrong.
0: Did no wrong. Yep.
1: And then you've got also, if we're going into hard rock, well, no, I do a Queen podcast, you do a Van Halen podcast, Roger Taylor and Alex Van Halen are more musical. And that's where I I was trying to sort of trying to get the nub of what my problem with this guy is. He just doesn't feel like a musician to me. He doesn't, he doesn't always get musically what he should be playing. And you said this already, right? He's playing the wrong thing. And he plays the wrong thing a lot. Yeah. Now, when he gets it right, it's great. And he gets it right a lot of the time too, and I've been trying to be balanced about that, right? Because he said, like, "Call it out when he plays a great fill, you know, do that." There was a last last week we talked about one song where he plays this little um, double kick thing, and it adds the song in a great little way. It moves it along, and it adds this sort of presence to it. But sometimes I'm like, I don't know how many more times I can hear that fucking ratatat snare fill.
0: I, I'm not even opposed to ratatat. It, it's just <laughs> it's outside of that. Like if it's kind of uniform. And it kind of works, and that's where I kind of go back into like a Joey Kramer or a Stan Lynch, where not as technically proficient as like an Alex Van Halen or a Roger Taylor, but it fits the song. And I guess I would put Stan Lynch in the same category as Roger Taylor, Uh, actually. I think he's a very, very, very very good drummer. Uh, Whereas Alex Van Halen, uh, and again, Joey Kramer, I think, is underrated as a drummer as well. You listen to some of the stuff he does. And there's actually an Aerosmith song on the new record. New, it was 2012. It came out where Steven played the drums, and it's terrible. It's and, really bad. And, <laughs> yeah. and Steven's yeah. always always bitching at Joey for his drums, and Joey, I think, is ten times the the drummer that Steven Tyler is. Oh God, yeah. I mean, Steven,
1: you know, and for people who don't know, Aerosmith singer Steven Tyler was a drummer. I mean, he, that he was his primary instrument, but. There's a difference between smacking about in your basement, like I do and you do, and actually being able to do it consistently on stage and in the recording studio and write parts that are complementary to the song. What song was that, Corey? Was it? Do you remember what the name of that song was, where Tyler I, plays drums?
0: I, I don't uh, off the top of my head, but it was from uh, music from another dimension. And uh, yeah, Joey wasn't even on it. Was, it was just it was a big Steven and Joe song. and It's not good. And, it's and the horrendous. The drums were terrible. Yeah. Oh my god. And and then, then you listen to a Joey Kramer Aerosmith song, and you're like, these are perfect. Like l- listen to Love in an Elevator and, and everything he does on Love in an Elevator. Like fan Which cast. was which was the
1: latest episode of uh, Yeah, it was the latest episode, right? It was this week's, which I listened to and I haven't commented on yet. The breakdown in that song, when Joey, when it breaks, it's just Joey on the drums. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? If you don't love that, there's no rock and roll in your soul. Exactly. Because there's lots of roll in it. Yeah, you know, and that's the other thing that we talked about with M- Metallica is that I like a bit of roll in my rock, and that's not what heavy metal is. And I, t- I kind of get that, but Metallica do does do it sometimes. Um, don't tread on me. That's yep. a bit of a swing to it. Yeah, it's like okay, well they can do it. They're just okay. It's still more deliberate. So again, I've got a more of an appreciation, like you said. I've turned a bit with James. I'm more firmly entrenched on Lars than ever. So yeah, this guy is just there's just fundamental issues with the way he writes drum parts for me. So.
0: Oh, man, you're going to hate Load and Reload because he's really good on this <laughs> record, actually. It's the the records we have coming up where he, he's even worse. So, oh, I can't wait to get into those. But before that, we have Side D of the Black Album, one of the biggest albums of all time. Let's get right into it. This is the 10th track off of the self-titled record. This is The God That Failed, played 104 times live in concert. What's that? I I, I hear something. It, it, it's it's like a different instrument. It's not a guitar. It, 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 it's a little it's a little bassier. Is is that a bass guitar?
1: That lick there is bass, hundred percent. Yeah.
0: I, I'm being a smartass because it, but on it, the it album be, before it, there was no bass, and here we have bass. Oh, dude, no. My first note is hey, I can hear the bass. <laughs> Mine too. I have bass! Exclamation point! Yay, Jason. How's it going, no, I, buddy?
1: I would say that, again, you know, we'll talk about this at the end of the episode, maybe, that one of my overarching issues with this, this, the way this sounds, this album sounds, is that I don't hear the bass often enough on this. And it's it's not because it's, it's not like Justice for All where, where they've deliberately said, well, fuck you, we're just going to drop you out of the mix. But it's it's just that the bottom end is so overwhelmed because they're playing everything in E. So that it's everything's on that low string and Lars's kick is so high that it really kind of swamps out the best. So to hear here, fantastic.
0: If you're not listening to this uh, episode with headphones on uh, that panning left to right on the guitars. And then when when, when it all kicks in and, and then they're in both channels, incredibly well done. I love that effect.
1: Chugger, chugger, chugger. It's a heavy metal thing. I know it's a heavy metal thing. And sometimes I like it. And sometimes I don't. This one? Hmm, kind of the middle ground. So it's I quite like
0: it. Yeah, th- this this one I like it. Because I, I really dig the subject matter. And we kind of go back to... We want to take it back to season one in a song called Jesus, He Knows Me. Uh, th- This song is all about uh the human reliance on faith. And, and people who, like, I'm just going to pray my problems away and god will take care of it because this is very personal for james because uh his mother died of cancer and she refused medical attention solely relying on her belief that god would heal her so he has a real and obviously he has a real uh problem with that right uh, he, yeah. he he firmly said if she had not followed her christian science beliefs she could have survived so the the chugga here the da it has a very dark undertone to it i dig it because it totally fits the theme of the song and and kind of the same problems I had with Jesus. He knows me, people who pray upon the week. Uh, this is people who have an over-reliance on faith. And uh, I, I'm a believer in faith. You you need a little faith in your life, right? But an over-reliance on it, like, you know, God will fix all my problems. I It just doesn't work that way.
1: You know, and I'm, I'm not a believer in faith at all, but what I think this song does lyrically too is it, it I don't think it, it judges the problem and criticizes the problem without criticizing the person, which is a really important difference, right? Like it's okay to, it, it's okay. And I think it's important to challenge ideas because ideas shouldn't be sacred. Ideas should be challenged. And if they're falsifiable and, and they're wrong, let's talk about that, but don't criticize someone who has those ideas, right? I mean, that, there's a difference between those two things, which sometimes gets lost in the nuance on things like social media and, uh, public discourse these days Corey. Amen. heavy eh? we're, we're, we're coming out the gate pretty heavy
0: on this one amen hallelujah brother Fuck! <laughs> there we go there's almost a little extra vitriol I, I think in the way james is singing this song like yeah. a little a little extra anger and understandably pride you took pride you feel pride you felt when you kneeled not the word, not the love, not what you thought from above. That's yeah. powerful shit. Mm-hmm.
1: It's great, like, and I love it. Like, I mean, I said I'm a, you know, a godless heathen, Corey. I don't, I'm not a believer, and I like a song that can tackle this issue as you just literally just talked about, but tackle it lyrically and
0: and sort of literally, and it does a good job of it. it. It's it's odd though because you're not a believer, but you are a believer. And and we, we, which I find a, a little odd.
1: Season three, season three, my friend. Get ready. We're digging it
2: into beats, the drifting.
0: Man, that that riff, uh, the just a heavy undertone. Everything to the song kind of works for me at this point.
1: I think that the thing that actually makes it, though, is that you're not relying just on that riff. It's the lick that Kirk's putting in there, right? It's the yes. end. It's the color to it. That's what makes it. And again, it's what we said last week about, or what I said last week about the, oh man, what's the first song called? I can't remember now. I've lost my- From last week? God damn, man. Through the Never? Yeah, the first Through the Never It's what Through the Never doesn't do. It's got that repetitive riff, but it doesn't add anything to it. There's no color to it. It's just black and white. And But this one, great little lick.
0: That, that, that is powerful stuff. I see faith in your eyes. Never you hear the discouraging lies. I hear faith in your cries. Broken is the promise. Betrayal. The healing hand held back by the deepening nail. Follow the God that failed. That line, the
1: healing hand held back by, by the deepened nail. That's a fucking great line. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a very literary description of, you know, the healing hand held back by, by the nail. It's, well, it's Christ on the cross, and it's... Yep. He's, he's there and this is your this is your guy but he's fixed in place and he can't help you he can't bring his hand forward and i think that's just a very good way of saying what you're talking about right well yes okay pray about your problems sure but do something about them too at the same time do it in parallel do two things right uh, very very clever
0: yeah uh, that, that, that's one thing people kind of miss is that god is supposed to work through you to fix your own problems not rely blindly on sky daddy as you would put it to, to kind of <laughs> fix everything for you My goodness, find your peace, find your say, find the smooth road in your way, trust you gave, a child to save, left you cold and him in grave. Oh, like, it doesn't get any darker than that, like, my child is sick, I'm going to pray away his illness, oh no, now he's dead. Like, when when you could have done something about it, and you could tell there's so much, you know, resentment, you know, into his own situation, right? He lost his mom, he didn't have to. Oh my God. Like it's it's I, I think I dock it just because it's so dark, but I, I totally get it. And and the music fits the lyrics perfect.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is it's an angry song. Like he's rightly pissed off about what happened to his mom. I mean how, you, you can't not end up in a dark place if you're writing from that viewpoint about that subject, I think, right? So I mean I'm I don't think I'm critical on the the tone of these lyrics at all. And this is funny because this is a song that I didn't care that much about the first few times I heard it, but learning about the backstory and the context of it, and then sort of applying that lens to the lyrics, it's like, yeah, man, this is a fucking great lyric. Fantastic lyric. Um, I love that little transition moment, though, into this chorus where you get that little, kind of that hitch step thing that Metallica does quite a lot. They do it really, really effectively here, and it's, it's a very, very cool part. It, I like it, just, that musically.
0: it breaks up the monotony, right? Because you, yeah. you could very well just play that that riff uh, into the next verse, right? Yeah. But give us a little something. And to me, that that's kind of the magic, but it was what Genesis did too. It's yeah. just a little musical breakup here and there that, that, that really kind of separated from a band, like a, forgive me, Megadeth fans. I, I don't know if they do that. And yeah. I, I don't listen to Meg- Megadeth a whole ton. Someone's going to correct me out there. But to me, this is what separates Metallica from like the Megadeths and the Anthraxes and the Panteras and, and the Slayers of the world. Right. Cause, they they do little things like that to keep shit interesting instead of just being repetitive, and we had a song already on side C that was quite repetitive. It it, it can get you know yeah. old after hearing this shit for a while, right? Through the never had that, you know, and very badly actually, right? But you know, little things like that just make it interesting. It's attention to detail. It's what really
1: good songwriters do, right? And like I said, if if out of anything that I've picked up from doing this album so far, and I'm looking forward to load and reload and digging into whether it continues. Is that James Hetfield is very good, but I'm sure you know Bob Rock had input into it, and Lars probably had some input into it. But he's very good at composing. Okay, I've got a verse, I've got a chorus. What do I need to make that flow? What's the transition? How do I get from there to A to B? How do I what should the bridge sound like? I, I, I can't knock his ability to do that. Like he's, he's very good,
0: and I imagine a lot of it because it's usually James and Lars. I imagine a lot of it's Lars saying, hey, do something there. We need a little bridge there. And then James will come up with something. So James is, is the here, creative one. Lars is the one that kind of... He, he's the administrative one, right?
1: <laughs> here's the thing, though, right? Because we talked about Nothing Else Matters, and that is credited to James and Lars. Yep. But it's definitely... I mean, it even says somewhere, I'd read somewhere that it it is... That's a James Hetfield song, top to bottom. I wonder Because there's a difference between saying, hey, you should do something different there, and saying... Oh, what I think would work here is, and I wonder, because we have I think we talked last week about I'm not convinced about Lars Ulrich's m- musicality. I wonder whether those core rights are really core rights or whether James Hetfield has just been nice to his friend and making sure his friend gets paid that's, from songwriting royalties. Yeah,
0: that's legitimate. The only example I can think of, and I'm not the world's biggest Metallica fan, and somebody out there can certainly give more examples. The one example I have is Inner Sandman because right. that was originally supposed to be uh you know dá, 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 and it was Lars's right. idea to triple the initial riff and and three times and then go into the descending uh riff on the way down which really good note right and it kind of helps make that song so little things like that absolutely but nothing else matters I don't know if he really added anything to that other than saying yeah let's do that song and he got a co-write on it
1: Playing the riff three times versus two, is that songwriting or production? And what's the line there? Because then in that case, yeah. should Bob Rock be getting songwriting credit on some of that stuff?
0: Maybe if he would have came up with that, I, I would be giving so I Bob Rock credit for that. Absolutely. but Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, we're getting off track. We're at two minutes. Uh, where do you want to go from here? My next one, I think, is 234. Did you have anything before that? Yeah, let's go there. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, my my head hurts. Uh, it, oh my God.
2: I think it's <laughs> fucking stock. What, which part of that is unclear to you?
1: Lars, what are you doing there?
0: Like, oh.
1: It's again, man, I talked about this on my Queen podcast, Cory, and I think I've talked to you about it. It's like he just has a bucket of fills that he draws, he just pulls a fucking name out of a hat, he plays whatever's
0: on it, regardless of where he's at in the song, regardless of whether it fits, it's just dreadful. It's really bad. And th- this is maybe the worst one on the record. I know we had one inside, see, that was pretty bad. This is maybe the worst one for me uh, on this entire album because it's like. It's, oh. We both did this. It's like, <laughs> I, I just, you know,
1: as the kids will say these days, Corey, I can't even. <laughs>
0: there, there, There's a, a, a scene in Some Kind of Monster where his uh, son, God, he must have been like, you know, six or seven, like just little, and, and, and picks up the, the sticks and goes, Metallica, and starts banging away. And that's what Lars did there. <laughs> this kid maybe would have done it better. I don't know.
1: <laughs> oh my lord yeah
0: oh. all right well uh,
1: I would say that because we, we should play through the soul a little bit here I think yes. and maybe we should play it from here
0: well and, and the soul is really interesting because he plays in a line higher. fire and it, it really really works so yeah
1: Okay, first of all, the guitar's mixed too low there. Yep. Let's play about, I don't know, 15 seconds of this because this is where I, I genuinely, after I'd finished listening to this song, I was just fucking aggravated and I had to stop listening to this album and making notes about it for this episode and just go on outside and walk a bit because I was just unbelievably irritated. And I think, you're, I think this is probably going to be, you're going to have the same criticism. So we play, I don't know, like 10 more seconds or something. So, okay.
0: Jason Newstead, what are you doing? He's ruining the song.
1: Oh, yeah, Jason's all (laughs) over the place. I mean, he's, you know, he's completely clashing with what fucking Kirk's doing. Like, Lars, dude, shut the fuck up. Stop
0: it. Everything you're doing is wrong. Everything you're doing in this section is wrong. And I was a Lars apologist coming into this season. And then I'm listening to this album with, with like, a fresh set of ears and, like, trying to be more analytical. And I'm not a musician by trade. Uh, I'm I'm just kind of, you know... But fuck, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, This song, he's he's, and this is a great solo. I love that that Kirk. Yes, that you know, take it up an octave. It fits so well with the with the rhythm. And he's over and above that. It's so great. It's mixed too low, hundred percent. And Lars is fucking ruining it. I just don't know. Again, I mean, we we talked about this last week.
1: I don't know whether it was just fatigue or Lars just has that much sway, but. How does that, how does all that get on the record? Like, it's chaotic, it's a mess. He's playing like he's kind of out of time a little bit here and there, and yeah, he's playing, across, totally the, he's out playing of time. across the solo. Like, it's just awful. It's, this is actually the worst, like, you know, the the, the last thing that I the, the grudge that I have with Lars. This is the worst of it. This is like, you know, if, you, if I'm going to say to someone, why do you hate Lars Ulrich? It's this first of all, I'll point to this. Because it's fucking awful. That's just not, that's the person who doesn't have a musical ear and can't play for the song. We talk about it all the time. Joey Kramer, Alex Van Halen, Roger Taylor, Steve Ferroni, Stan Lynch. They play for the fucking song. Lars Rolke is playing for himself here. It's awful. Ruins it.
2: You're just sitting here being a complete <laughs> dick.
1: Yes, you are, Lars. Yes, you are.
0: <laughs> I agree. And th- this is a song musically I, w- I maybe would have put high nines because there's so much good stuff there. But I docked it lower because, yeah, Lars fucking Ulrich, and like I said, I was a large, I was a Lars apologist coming into the show. But listening to his, I don't know how you can defend that, and 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 not not just drummers. Like I I know uh, Scott's gonna hate that. I know you hate that as a drummer. As just a, a casual rock listener, you're like, that takes you out of the experience of this. I want to hear Kirk and the solo and how the solo marries with the rhythm. To me, it's about the guitars there. And if you're doing anything, you want to accent what the guitars are doing because it's a guitar solo. It's not like, like Yeah, he, he's his He's this kid just grabbing sticks and bashing the kit as he goes yelling, Metallica, Metallica. And it's <laughs> – this could have been that, an incredible we need, that, song. we need that quote on your soundboard as well. <laughs> Metallica. Oh, my God. All right. oh that's that was... brilliant <laughs> right that's fucking end. perfect it was shit it was awful and then it was brilliant <laughs> like <laughs> fuck
1: you and fuck everything you stand for you danish <laughs> twat i just can't deal with it on this i'm used to having the drummer do the beat part <laughs> you
0: know what <laughs> i mean just do the beat part
1: <laughs> yeah she does brutal it's funny you because this solo like i know you're like a maiden fan you know i'm a maiden fan generally oh, yeah. right yeah yeah, so th- what I love about this solo is it's Kirk Hammett, but he's doing two different kinds of solo. So he starts out, he's more like Adrian Smith, where it's more written and more composed and more thought out. But then he starts shredding, and then it's more like Dave Murray in the second half. Yeah, where actually in this one, because I've complained about that last week about uh, the hula hula thing. Yeah, whatever. I don't I don't dislike it, but it doesn't really excite me here because he's laid the groundwork with a different kind of solo. When you get into that shredding stuff, it's like, yeah, there you go. That's great. That's awesome
0: great comparison and if i take it back to aerosmith it's brad whitford joe uh, joe perry where brad whitford yep. is more technical uh, i i play the notes exactly where they need to go and it sounds great and joe's like i play 100% by feel and it sounds great and yeah. and two great tastes taste great together it's you know peanut butter and chocolate it's not like peanut butter and tuna <laughs> I love the A in the hard stop. Oh, God, that's yeah. great.
1: <laughs> so again, I mean, I think this is one of those songs that suffers a little bit from its length. And we'll get there. So there's, you know, when we, and then my next point was 4.51 because I like that stacked guitar finale. And it's, again, we talked about I made, and It's a very made-in-the-ending. But I think if you drop that in at four minutes there and end there, because the, the intermediate, sort of between four minutes and 4.51, it's just a bit, we're doing the same thing again we're just doing the same fucking riff and okay I get it but I just want something more from this band that I know can do it and again that's that's the thing that's opened my eyes with this album is when they're at their best this is a really inventive really musical really cool band but they seem on this album to have just dropped into well let's just do something safe I like the dangerous stuff they do so it's funny you think the black album is safe Oh, fuck uh, yeah, it totally is. I mean, come on. Well it, it's backbeat. it's large doing the rat like
0: come on, like do something. Don't you know, impress me, you know. Sure, it, it it's Bob Rock safe because that's what Bob Rock gives you. Right? You you want hits, you want to sell some records, you want to move some units, yeah. you hire Bob Rock. Right. And that's what Metallica wasn't doing before. They had their hardcore base, but they didn't break through into the mainstream until this record, and then they broke through big time. And a lot of that is because of Bob Rock. Yeah.
1: That's fucking great, man. That, I love well, that. It's it, multi-layered. Like, they've stacked up the guitars. Yeah, play it there. Play it in the third position. Play it in the fifth position. Let's stop. Put, put one more. We'll do one more take.
0: It's great. I love it. And, and you don't expect to hear, and you expect the big, and the big concert ending, right? Instead you get, yeah, like, it's so unexpected. It, it's great. weird, but in a good way. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. So why don't you go first? Because I went first on, on the last show. Okay, I'm going to give my
1: overall thoughts on this before I get into my actual scores. This song irritates the fucking shit out of me because it should be so much better than it is. The idea's great. All the parts of it are there, but overall, you just, I can't get past Lars Ulrich standing up and just fucking masturbating all over the top of a really good solo. And and everyone just being okay with it. Like that's just inexcusable to me. So music I went, I don't know why it's six, probably I should have gone seven, but six, okay. I love the lick in the chorus. Oh, I suppose, yeah, this is what I've written. And I don't care that much about the verse. Musically, I think it's okay. okay. But musically, the riffs just, you know, there. Um, it's kind of an odd dissonant sound because it's got this half-step thing that it does. That, okay, love the solo. The bass part's nice. I just wish I could hear it more clearly. Um, but again, the drums. What the fuck is this guy doing? Just put a fill at the end of every eight bars or something. If you want to do that, but it's that, it's that thing, you're not listening to the band. You're not listening to this song. And I just, it's inexcusable. Okay, lyrics nine for me. I mean, again, that for that one line alone, the healing hand held back by the deep nail, I think is just just extraordinary. That's a superb line. And then follow the God that failed. Like the rhyme's great. And, I, and the whole lyric I like. Um, and it's also, like I said, it's, it's not like a top table Hetfield from what I've heard so far, but it's super strong. So I'm giving it a nine. But production, I've gone 1.5 because that lack of restraint from Lars, no one calling it out. I can't really hear the bass because again, that kick is so loud and the, the guitars are just sort of drowning it out. It sounds to me like, this is my thought about this song, Corey. I'd be willing to bet that they had the chorus. I'm sure that, I think that James wrote the chorus with that great line and with the God that failed and that whole, the lick and everything, which is so cool. And they built out from that and I'm not sure that they got all the rest of it right. So they kind of settled a little bit on the verse, so it's just a bit weakly composed that should have been a lot better because it's a very, very strong lyric. So I'm at six, nine, and 1.5, so all over the map. Like, it's just a disjointed thing for me.
0: Like I said, I think musically, this could have been high nines, like nine, nine and a half. It had that potential for me. I dropped it down to an eight because of Lars, mainly. Uh, All the little nitpicks you had outside of Lars, didn't affect me at all. I I love that it, it it's really kind of heavy, ugly, slow because that's what this subject matter I think needs. Uh, it work it marries so well together. It's dropped two full points because of Lars Ulrich. Really, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, lyrically I gave it a nine because the lyrics are brilliant. Like you, you call it that line, I could call it another six or seven. Like I, I really think James Hetfield's a poet. I know one day my wife doesn't like Metallica. And I, I quoted her some lyrics uh, from the song, I Disappear, from the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. Uh, Will you bury me when I'm gone? Will you teach me while I'm here? Just as soon as I belong, then it's time I disappear. She's like, oh, that's really nice. Is that a, from a poem? I'm like, no, it's James fucking Hetfield from the Metallica <laughs> song. Like, so, so fucking good. And uh, you, you can you can feel the pain. You can feel the vitriol in, in his voice as he delivers these lines. Yeah, the, the God that failed. And and this is a real problem. And I'm not knocking... Religion or faith—I uh, certainly have faith in things myself, but a blind faith in, in in something could cause real damage to to others, and that's what this song is about. And it's a real problem, and it works incredibly well uh, to me. The, the, this really should have been one of the standouts on this record, and it's just a, a shade below uh, because because of that. So I give it an eight for music, a nine for lyrics, and a three for production, because again, I don't know. And again, because yeah, not calling out Lars Ulrich and saying hey. Don't fucking do that. Like, uh, I'm trying to think, or just
1: or take a different take. Yeah, I'm sure he played a take where he didn't do
0: that. Use that one then. Like, I, I you love, know, like fuck me. I, I love that. That uh, Kirk and Bob Rock came together and said, l- l- you know, let, let's take the, the the solo up an octave to really contrast from that yeah. dirty, ugly riff. God, that's brilliant, and it works so fucking well. And I want to hear more of it, but the guitar is low in the mix, and then you have Lars. Just jerking off all over the drum kit like Tony Banks did on his keyboard, except I'm I'm angrier at Lars than I ever was at Tony Banks. <laughs>
1: I'm just trying to see what I wrote down here because I wrote something that. How about you just sit in the pocket, and maybe throw in a quick fill at the end of every eight bars, instead of thrashing about like a fucking droning giraffe.
0: What a novel idea! Which is what idea. he's doing. He is. What what a novel idea! Just sit in the pocket like a fucking drummer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's animal from the Muppets w- 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 without the feel. without the groove yeah Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) and the cute red face who doesn't love Animal come on everyone
0: loves Animal that's true
1: (laughs) yeah I I think we're both in sort of roughly in the same space right because it's it's a song that it should be so much better and could be and so I haven't listened to I don't know if you've listened to Corey my brother-in-law has the the big box set the big black album box set with all the different like takes oh yeah I'm gonna borrow it because I'd love to hear if there's a I'll bet you there's a much better take of this song I'll I bet, bet you there is
0: and, and of course they uh they, they released the record that held the the different covers from di- different artists. I'm curious to see uh who did the God that failed and uh what they did with it
1: the Metallica blacklist
0: yeah blacklist holy fucking Jesus it's four discs oh and like how many different versions of Enter salmon one, two, three, four five six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of "Sad but True." Twelve of "Nothing Else Matters." <laughs> Come <laughs> on, that
1: now look. If you're going to use the word "overindulgent," I think it applies here. <laughs> now, uh, although I, I would, I would say though, I mean, you look at "Nothing Else Matters." You've got Phoebe Bridges, who is a fucking amazing artist. Miley Cyrus, now, uh, who I think
0: Miley Cyrus Chris with Ableton, Elton John. Elton John played on that one. And actually on, John, yeah, I mean... And, and Yo-Yo Ma was on that one too with Chad Smith. But uh, Elton John, who was on the Howard Stern show, he said, because Metallica was there and Elton John was zooming in from uh, England, and he said, of course I played on this song. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Yeah. And James Hetfield, like you could see him, he like clutched his chest. Oh, my God. Elton John just <laughs> said, one of my songs is one of the greatest songs ever written? And I was like, yeah. 100%, this is one of the greatest fucking songs ever written. So yeah, he he played on the Miley Cyrus version. And then you have... Uh, Dave Gahan, uh, uh Mickey Guyton, Dermot Kennedy, Mon Leferity, uh Igor Levitt, My Morning Jacket, PJ Rox. I don't even know who half these fuckers are. I don't know I, some of these people, but Chris Stapleton, man, he's a fucking stud. Darius Rucker Amazing from uh, Hootie and the Blowfish, yeah. yep like The God That Failed, two versions. From uh, uh, Ides, or Idols? Idols. Right? Yeah, and Imelda May, who I've never heard of.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. We'll give him a listen, Corey, maybe. Report back to the people. The fine people who listen to our podcast, we'll, you know what, we'll go and listen to those two tracks and we'll tell you whether either of them is better than uh, the fucking higgledy-piggledy train wreck that Lars Ulrich turned this song into.
0: A lot of big artists. Uh, actually, if you listen to The Blacklist, like uh, Weezer's on here, uh, yeah. St. Vincent's on here, uh, Corey Taylor, Cage the Elephant... Casey the Elephant, did don't forgive. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, I'm fucking <laughs> listening to that later. It's really good. If I remember correctly, do that. That's, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the standouts. Fuck, Volbeat. I saw those
1: guys open for food bodies, eh?
0: Oh, did you? Live? Those guys are off the hook. You know what? Volbeat's pretty fucking good too, and they, and they do a "Don't Tread on Me." <laughs> nice. <laughs> But you know what? Uh, My Friend of Misery uh, only three artists uh, tackled that one Cherry Glazer, uh, Isaiah, and Kamasi Washington. Uh, My Friend of Misery only played 21 times. Let's give it a listen here. Yeah. that instrument again It it's almost like a guitar but it has like a, a low end to it man i don't know you didn't hear you know, it on the, the last record
1: they let like the new guy out of the fucking closet i think eh?
0: and and this is james's riff or uh, J- uh, this is jason's riff jason yeah yeah
1: it's the only core it's the only only co rights on the album right
0: it is yeah he's only had like i think three co-writes uh on his entire time in the band so
1: so because i found a quote from him and i must i think I'm going to guess from the way he phrases this that he was out of the band when he quoted this, but he said he told Bilbo Magazine um, uh, that he was pleased with his contribution to the song, and he said there was a moment where those guys kind of bowed and said, here you go, man, put your song on there. Being the guy who came up with that, he said, as opposed to being part of the team, I got to be myself for a minute there, which was a real accomplishment, which to me is almost him saying I didn't have a voice in this band. you know.
0: And he never really did, and that's why he left. Uh, and that's something that the some kind of monster documentary really documents well because uh, everybody kind of wanted, you know, take a break, you know, a- after load and reload and, and kind of, you know, spend time with the family. He doesn't have a family. Like he doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids. Music uh, is his, you know, that's his children. So he yeah. wanted to go and create something with, uh, you know, Volby. And and that, it was James actually at the time who said, no, you can't do that. And And Jason, his whole point was nothing I can do can hurt the Metallica machine. This is the biggest heavy band of all time. And and we sell billions, billions, billions of, of everything, right? Nothing I can do outside of that can hurt Metallica. Why won't you let yeah. me do this? And that's what led to him leaving. And it, it, him, it, it's sad because Jason Newsted, incredibly uh, gifted guy, he went and played with Ozzy after this. I, actually, after Metallica took Robert Trujillo from Ozzy, Jason went and played uh, with Ozzy for a spell. And then he did Trujillo, the whole... Trujillo, was playing with Ozzy. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. and, and and that's where Metallica got him from. They they wow. they sniped him from Ozzy, and then Ozzy took Jason, and and then uh, Jason did the the rock star, uh, supernova. I think it was called, uh, the the uh the show with Gilby Clark and Tommy Lee, they were looking okay. for like a front and, and created their own kind of super group. And then he has been kind of tootling away ever since. But uh, that that was the big thing. Jason didn't really have a voice and. I, I think that's one of James's biggest regrets. Is obviously he, they they didn't take the loss of Cliff Burton very well, and yeah, it's tough, right? Like you know that that's one of your brothers, that's part of your family, and and I, I remember James in interviews talking about you know you know seeing the bus after the crash and seeing uh, Cliff's sneaker sticking out of the bottom of it and knowing that his friend was gone. Like that's 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 hard, that, man. Yeah, and, you know how do you come back from that? Like. You know, AC/DC was able to do it after Bon Scott passed away. It, it wasn't so easy uh, at, at the end of the day, but then they just went on and recorded their biggest album and the biggest rock album of all time, yeah. uh, "Back in Black." For Metallica, it, it was a little tougher, and they always kind of resented Jason. It's not Jason's fault, and they all recognize it's not Jason's fault that we resented him because he's not Cliff. But any guy in in the, in those shoes would have had that that same problem. I think it's
1: important though too to sort of you know flag up the. Everyone deals with grief in different ways. There's no right way or wrong way of doing it. And, you know, Metallica push back and sort of blame someone and that, whatever. You know, it's not the, it's not, you know, quote unquote, the right way of doing it. But I don't know if I would, you know, you don't just, okay, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, you probably don't know until you're in that situation, until you face that level of grief. You don't know. Like you might be a complete dick. Yeah. I might be a complete dick. Who knows? Right. So I'm sort of a, a little bit more, I'm 50 years old, Corey you know i I think i've gained a little bit of wisdom in this life you know in my little hobbit life that i like to think that i'm a little bit more sensitive now to i don't fucking judge people for the stupid mistakes they've made i've made a million stupid mistakes in my life and like you said if james uh, hatfield looks back and thinks yeah we didn't treat jason very
0: well well fuck just that's okay then you know well you're 50 years old you don't look a day over 72 yes On Lars the entire show, but I, I wasn't a huge fan of what he was doing on the symbols there. I, I I'm used to doing the Van Halen show where Alex Van Halen really works the symbols well. Yeah. Like his symbol work is amazing. And and what he was doing there, I don't know, it it it, it just didn't feel like it fit to, to me anyway. I
1: don't think it's that. I just think the mix is wrong, and I think we you know we saw on okay. a year and a half of the Life of Metallica, it's just too high. It's too loud. Yeah. There's not much wrong with what he's playing, really, if you just drop it back a little bit.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I, I get the point you know, like, of it. And like, tch, 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 tch. like, sure, that, yeah. that on paper, that sounds like that would work there over top of that yeah. bass, but it doesn't. And I, I couldn't pinpoint it. Maybe it's it's just too loud.
1: I think it's, I mean, well, there's a volume, you know, once I sort of clued in, so I was listening to it, This was like, fucking hell, the snare's loud there. And then I realized holy shit, the snare's really loud, Every apart from one song in this album, which we'll get to later in this episode. But it's like, it's too, the, the drums are too big. And I get that it's a heavy metal album. I totally understand that. I get Metallica, is that's what they do. And whichever song it was on last week's episode, which again, I've forgotten already. See, this is the problem with some of these songs. I've just, I don't remember even what the names are. The lead, the lead track off Side C, that works there because it's a fucking hardcore punk thing. Yeah, make the drums fucking massive. But something like this, you need a bit more strength. You need to just sit and let this fucking beautiful interplay, actually, between the guitar and bass shine. Just leave that alone. Don't play over top of it, Lars.
0: It's a great bass riff. Absolutely. Yeah, it's and, awesome. Love it. Yeah, Yeah, and the interplay with the, with the guitars, like you said, works perfectly. But again, you hear that it's so loud on the cymbals. It's like, yeah. And again, on paper, that should work. But as an accent, not as the major component. Yeah.
3: No one
2: was
0: okay. So we, we talked about how, you know, the cadence of James's lyrics and rhythmic rhythm, rhythmically how they work. They don't work on this song. <laughs> the sound okay. of your voice must soothe you. Like, it's an awkward line to say, and yeah. normally he can save that. He doesn't here, though. Like, it, it just it didn't work for me.
1: That's interesting, because I've got a thought on why he did it this way, but maybe I'll leave it for a little bit and okay. talk about it later.
0: There, there's another one, uh, You're Smothered in Tragedy. The way he hit that was, was. I don't know, it, it didn't work rhythmic, rhythmically. Right. right. It was off. Okay.
1: So backtrack a little bit then. Just when you read the lyrics, do you like the lyrics as sort of, you know, you talk about poetry and, you know, yeah. the way that James can write that type of song? you just stood there screaming fearing no one was listening to you they say the empty can rattles the most the sound of your voice must soothe you hearing only what you want to hear and knowing only what you've heard you you're smothered in tragedy and you're up to save the world so if you just think about that as an idea does does the lyric work for you
0: yes because because okay. everybody kind of has that right where they kind of wallow in their own misery right where yeah you're making yourself feel worse that's why it's my friend of misery but yeah it, it, it's the way it's structured like the thematically it makes total sense i, I totally get it on paper if you read it as like a, a stanza from a poem i totally get it how it's structured Kay. in the song is what throws me off
1: okay cool yeah we'll get to that then because i think that i think it's deliberate I Okay, think i know why it might not be and i might just be reading too much into it which i have a tendency to do Corey. but
0: no <laughs> fuck <laughs> No, that's a great course misery you insist that the weight of the world should be on your shoulders and who hasn't done that right like woe yeah. is me like everybody that's such a, a human experience right and it's not the weight of the world is on your shoulders you insist that it's on your shoulders you're putting all that shit on yourself it's your perception yeah exactly that is so well done misery there's so much more to life than what you see my friend of misery And, you know, as much as I didn't like the verses, this chorus is note perfect.
1: And we should probably stop doing this, referring back to other podcasts that we do. But when we talk on your Van Halen show about the Hagar era, you know, there's a difference between them. The the, the camps are divided on that. But one of the things that the album Fuck got right, you know, you, you just did a song from that album this week as we're recording. There's a lot of space in those songs like there's, there's, you know, the whole jazz thing about the notes that you don't play are, are as important or more important than the notes you do play. When they do this matched thing where the bass and the guitar are playing the same riff and Lars is being reserved and just playing that backbeat thing, it creates this openness to this section that lets that lyric that you just talked about really fucking come to the center and be spotlighted. I think it's, that's just a very good bit of production that we don't always get on this album, right? Yeah. But it's the right choice here. I think it's fantastic.
0: And it works thematically because you're 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 alone. You know, like all that openness creates this kind of feeling of isolation. Yeah. Which is what you want to feel in a song about my friend of misery.
2: These times are that with all you see. you you'll take it on all yourself. Remember misery runs
0: Oh man, that, that, that is maybe my favorite part of the song. You, yeah. you'll take it all on on yourself remember misery loves company and the way he sings it
1: oh. he does four different things vocally there yes which again that's where my appreciation for this guy as a singer's changed completely because i didn't know he had that dynamic flexibility that he shows on something like this and you know nothing else matters and everything else like that vocal drop where he shifts the dynamic and the vocal completely where he's taking all the rasp off and he's not pushing so much air out from his diaphragm and he's just singing head voice it, that's really good. That's really good technical singing, I think so, and it's very effective in at this point in the song, right? So,
0: and I don't think he had that before this record. Like you, you listen to the first four, uh, th- this wasn't here, right? Like Kill 'Em All is very much a a, a scream 'em record, right? Like you know, Yeah, Seeking Destroy, Hit the Lights, all those kind of songs are, are kind of the same. Uh, even going into Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning, and on Justice, uh, same thing. He's really singing on this record for the first time.
1: One. You know, we talked a bit about it, you know, about the fact that he um, maybe got licensed on this record to be himself a little bit more and sort of sing this way that, yeah, this guy can sing. But maybe it's a confidence thing. Like, you know, we all assume that a guy who's making his fifth record in a massive band just knows himself and knows... Well, no, it takes some singers or guitarists or drummers or whoever it is, takes you time sometimes to find your personality and this is where it seems like he unlocked a lot more of the things that he can do on this album.
0: Yeah. Not everyone's Freddie Mercury on Queen Run can just, right? Just like, comes out of
2: the gate. <laughs> comes yeah. out of the gate.
0: Just just perfect, right? And yeah. I remember in the Some Kind of Monster documentary, James talked about, I think it was on this tour, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, never wherever I'm, or there's nowhere left to roam uh, section of the tour. Cause they tour for like two, three years uh, on this record, right? And he blew his voice out. And he said that's the first time he went to a vocal coach and got a warm-up tape. And he uses the same warm-up tape that he got back in, like, 92, 93, whatever it was, yeah, to this man, day I mean to warm up his voice. He never thought he had to do that, but your voice is like an instrument. You got to tune it. You got to keep it in shape. And he you never thought... care no, of it, yeah. Yeah, and he never did that before. And now he is. But, yeah, he's really singing here. And if, if a lot of diehard Metallica fans hate Bob Rock, if Bob Rock did anything to help Metallica, it was in terms of James Hetfield and his singing. Yeah. I suppose, too, though, that that...
1: You know, if I look at those first four albums from afar, because I'm not, you know, massively versed in them, but I see that, you know, if you're a metalhead, of course you love those because Master of Puppets is fucking aggressive. Kill 'Em All is really aggressive. Yep. Ride the Lightning is a train wreck because it just sounds like a fucking big dumpster fire, whatever. But Does it though? Good songs Ride the Lightning there.
0: front to back is maybe their best record.
1: I can't listen to it. It just sounds so bad. <laughs> oh, song, we gotta do Metallica
0: first era now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I get that the the metalheads, they they want James to do that thing, right? They want him to do the growly, smoky, fucking shouty, aggressive thing. I, I totally get that. I understand that. But I want to see I want to hear a singer who has different levels, who has different looks and different tones, and he's like again, that the line there with this the vocal drop in this little section we're talking about it's not like it's not a huge moment in the song but if you know how arrogant this sounds if you know what you're listening for if you do these things that we do Corey, these when you sit listen to vocals you listen to steven tyler and you listen to tom Petty, and you listen to freddie mercury and you listen to fucking you know sammy hagar and david you you get an appreciation for dynamics and for things that people are not necessarily hearing i think that that one line is just it sort of shows that this guy's grown as a singer and he can do more than just growl
0: and shout and fucking scream. Which and is what he, more power to him for it, you know? It, that's what he did on the first four records. It's that little color. Just, just add a little extra dimension uh, to the vocals. That that, that kind of elevates it from uh, shouty shit like what you get. And again, apologies to Megadeth. I'm not a huge Megadeth fan. I haven't listened to a ton, a ton of their stuff. But Dave Mustaine sounds the fucking same from album one to album 20. Like, it, it's right. the it's exact same shit, right? James Hetfield, and this is why Metallica to me is ahead of all those other metal bands like the Anthraxes and the Slayers of the World and the Megadeths, because he adds that layer. He adds that color. He adds that extra dimension that they don't have. He has that extra melody that they don't have. I like melody. Melody is pleasing to the human ear, right? It it doesn't have to be just... uh, And and that's why, apologies to, to Mr. McGinnity, when he does his metal shop show, it's all just noise. Yeah. I don't fucking get it. That's not music. Yeah. That that that's just making a racket.
1: Yeah. Kill your father, eat your sister, shag your sister, kill kill your mother, beat your All right, but stop shouting at me. I'm scared. <laughs>
0: Back to your point about the the mix, like that the bass should be overpowering there, right? Because it, it, it's repeating the same refrain from the intro, but all you hear is drums, yeah. and he's not overplaying it. You know, just a couple of you know, cymbal hits here and there, da da. But it's too fucking loud. Like the the bass should be up more in the mix there, shouldn't it? His drum part in this track is really good. Yeah.
1: The notes he's playing, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, again, it's that criticism that we'll get to when we talk about the album writ large large just i think he got his way when he shouldn't have and it's just it's too much sonically plenty great part but again i mean that when this drops off now we get this instrumental section we're getting into now i think is my favorite moment on the entire album you know take nothing else matters maybe out of the equation and say that that song as a moment is just sort of basically perfect this part in this song is like and I don't know much Metallica, so I know they were a bit progier or they were a bit more sort of verbose in their early days. But it's like, oh man, yeah, this is interesting now. Now we're starting to flex our musical muscles and show we've got these different looks and different things, ways we can build things rather than just the boom cha boom cha da 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 You know, we've got this kind of you know this um, instrumental capacity that we haven't shown anywhere else. So yeah, and this section I think is fantastic. I'm just blathering now, Corey. Stop me. Cut me off. Punch something in. Mute me. Edit me. Censor me.
0: (laughs) The the sensor's on a different page. That's the problem. i got to, like, page over (laughs) to to, to get to it.
1: Again, like this thing where I've got my preconception of what Metallica is, and then I hear this. I was like, holy fuck, that's so cool. I don't know, you I didn't I, th- I thought you're gonna be using your pick at all times and just attacking the strings at every fucking note, but we get these volume swells where it's just again, it's kind of pink floydy and it's a bit trippy and proggy. This is the proggy thing that you were talking about when, you know, this section of this song is it's got that. That left turn that I want in a song sometimes, don't all the time, you know, sometimes like, oh, okay, well, we don't need 14 sections of this three minute part of this song. But here I think it's like, oh, thank God, now we're getting something different in this album where it's been a lot of chugger chugger and it's been a lot of fucking shouty shouty and inflections everywhere. But this is something it's like, I, I'm totally on board with this. Like, I know what this is. This is my wheelhouse. I feel happier. This is my home. This section of this song is fabulous. That's why I didn't like it as
0: much as you. It reminded me too much of of proggy Genesis, and, and, and th- this is a proggy song on the album. Like the the, the whale sounds like really like I, I know it's a guitar, but it. it, it I'm, I'm watching Star Trek Four all of a sudden, and I'm watching the, the humpback whales, uh, you know, sing a song <laughs> to the alien probe, and I don't know. I I, I Metallica can take, can, can take me quite a bit of ways uh, out of reality. This is maybe a a, a, a stretch too far for me. but that guitar is very much reminiscent of one which is of course one of the most recognizable and uh, popular Metallica songs of all time from Injustice for All that was the big the first video okay. they ever did was for one and and you know that that tone that that guitar section very much calls back to one which uh, is one of their greatest songs
1: well it's a super clean like I don't know what instruments they play but I'm assuming it's a Gibson or something but it's put it's but it's just put clean through the amp there's no effects on that Yep. That's what a that's what a guitar sounds like if you don't overdrive it and you just put it through an amp, right? It's and it's so and again, it's the build in this where we've had the drop, and that big ethereal thing with all the whale sounds,
3: <laughs> mm,
1: you know, almost looks like Chewbacca without the gargle. Anyway, but this bit where it builds because this thing starts it starts to build and continues to build. But I think that clean tone here, again, it wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting this from Metallica. I wasn't expecting it from Kirk Hammett, because he's got the wah thing that he does a lot. Loves the wah.
0: Loves the wah.
1: But this bit stands out because of it for me.
0: Yeah. So we're gonna get that that same complaint where the solo is too low in the mix and it's more rhythm right but i i, I love that tempo change yeah and, and then you get all that james rhythm in there but you, i'm struggling to hear uh kirk underneath it all okay so do you, are you familiar with an album called two Blue bells by Mike
1: field a little bit okay that again i i think maybe this is where i i like that it's i like that it's lower there i think that it works because it's it's that deliberate thing of really emphasizing the, they've taken all the bottom end off that. There's no bass on that guitar part there, right? Like it's just all treble and, you know, high middle. So you've got that thing where it's reedy and it's almost sort of emulating this, yeah, like a woodwind section in an orchestra or something, right? And it's got a, it's got sort of a weird brooding quality to the way he's playing it. Because he's sitting on the minor third a lot and he's playing notes around that and he's not sitting on fifths and major. So there's just, I think that'd be super cool because, again, it's moved. We've got that the will sound thing, as you described it. Incorrectly, Corey. What? It's atmospheric is the way I would describe it. Then you get that super clean, almost like that tele-fender, tele-tone. Then we get this thing. So it's 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 kind of giving you all these different colors within a solo, which is why I sort of end up criticizing some of the other solos that are just a bit of like, okay, well, if you can do this, and of course, it's not going to work on every song. But I just think, when you've got a guitarist who's clearly this good, I think you're probably underusing him if you just tell him to just shred. Or if that's what he's decided, oh, I should just play from the hit more often. Actually, Kirk, you know what? You should write because you're really fucking good at it.
0: You're not wrong. You're just wrong on this song. <laughs> I don't know. It's I, I, I prefer the hula hula a little bit. Uh, do, right. Do, do something. I, I don't mind atmospheric. That was kind of my favorite part of proggy Genesis was was when it played right right Mm -hmm. i i I don't know if it works so much i guess thematically it kind of works i don't like that it's buried underneath so much right that that really takes me out of it like if it was at least on par it it should ride above it right because if that's thematically if that's driving the narrative of the song it's got to run on the tracks that the drums and the rhythm and the bass are laying down for it whereas it's just the opposite it's underneath the tracks and it it's not as effective in that way so you really kind of have to stretch to, to kind of get where you're at. And, and you really have to kind of listen for it. If you're just giving it a cursory listen, you're not getting that. You're getting, I, I barely hear any guitars. I'm hearing James and I'm hearing Lars. I, yeah,
1: I guess so. Yeah, that's, that's a perfectly valid point. I mean, I, and I get, you know, there's a lot of subjectivity in this, right? Because we always say, folks, that, too, that neither Corey or I are right. I'm
0: you just know. more right, yeah.
1: Corey's just more right usually because, yeah. you know or he's the fucking, he's the center of the CMPU, so what are you going to do about it? Exactly. But it's that thing of, like, I like when a song will do this, When like, I like dynamic shifts in vocals, in in rhythm, whatever it is. In this solo, there's so many different ways that Kurt Kammert's playing this. Yep. And he's, I would actually even guess, you know what, I'd, I'd go as far as to say, I'd be willing to bet that each part of this solo is played on a different guitar. Not just a different set of effects, or I bet you it's played on a different guitar, because... They just sound so completely unique. They're like different chaps in the story. And here's what I would say to you, Corey, when you're talking about, you know, whether it sits underneath or on top of the, the melody or, or the, the beat or whatever. If you think about what misery is, misery is often an undercurrent. It's like a, it's a mental health thing, right? We talk about depression and anxiety and those kinds of things. Misery is, it sits there and it seethes and sometimes it steps up and it becomes all encompassing in your life and sometimes it's just noise and it's the sort of the base level thing that you hear oh it's like that tinnitus thing in your ear right so I think that if I was going to be if I was going to make it up on the spot so you know what Kirk Hammett's doing here what Bob Rock's doing with the production he's giving you different aspects of misery and anxiety and depression by changing the dynamics of the solo what do you think about that Mr. Morissette huh
2: I think it's fucking stock. What which part of that is unclear to you.
1: <laughs> you you're just going to be, you're going to be unfucking tameable with this new toy that you've got. There's <laughs> no,
0: anything anyone can say that's going to make any fucking difference.
2: You're just sitting there being a complete dick.
0: I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. You're just being a complete dick. I get, I get what you're saying. I, I think they're going about it the wrong way. Like cinematically, like everything yeah. should work, right? And everything you said should work, but they flipped it, right? The the, the guitar should be telling that story, because right. that's the section that narratively is going to carry you through. It's not the rhythm, because that's that's just the main riff over and over again, and it's not the drums, right? That should be the track that the narrative lays on as it's carrying across. To me, like I get everything you're saying; you're not wrong. It's just uh, inverted. And, and that's what's not working for me
1: i'll I'll invoke the cardinal here and i'll say you know what you're saying Corey. it's not wrong but in another sense you're not right <laughs>
0: yeah I, I would say it's not wrong but
1: you're wrong yeah it's so that look this is the it's the we've said it before this is the beauty of music this is why me and you and mark meyer and randy woods and all the different people we podcast with it's why we love doing this is because the same piece of music, the same eight bars of music, can mean so much different to each one of us. We interpret it completely differently. Yep. And you are right; well, neither of us is right or wrong. It's just we just see it differently. I, I, love that the it, man.
0: I love that you're looking at it more musically, and I'm looking at it more narratively because you're more of a music guy, I'm more of a movie guy, I'm more of a storytelling yep. guy. So if you're telling me the the, the theme and the story of my friend of misery, uh, you mm-hmm. inverted what you should have done. Whereas musically, you're looking at going, oh, no, that's that, that's absolutely perfect what they did so it's all in how you interpret it and how you're looking at at the experience and scott's gonna just sit there and think there's no snowman in this song so i don't give a fuck
1: ah. hey scott asking we know you're listening snowbound is a terrible song sir fucking right. awful no snowmen were hurt in the mating making of metallica <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, what did you think of what Lars did there in in and of that section? That, that that was maybe a little bit more.
2: Uh, I think it's fucking stock. What which part of that is unclear
0: to you? Th- th- that was more uh, Kirk Hammett stock to me, uh, kind of in that section. In I'd in, lose
1: this. I'd lose this whole hoodla hoodla section. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. No, I've not agreed with play- one
0: single hoodla hoodla thing you said about this record until this, <laughs> and, and now I get it because it's right here.
1: Yeah, it's it's too much of the same thing. It's, I've I've heard this before. And I know you're capable of so much better. I, you know, you, you've set the bar, so reach the bar. What Kurt, uh, what uh Lars did there? It's awesome playing crossbeat like that. It's great. I mean, I think that's you know, you could do that earlier on. Maybe you maybe could have done that in um, the song that you completely fucking torched, set fire to. Was it the God that failed? That's the one we yeah, that's the one we complained yeah. about. Yeah. So just do that because that's a really good part. That's a way to make the song winchering, but rhythmically and like the guitar like this we'll get to this when we sort of do our sum up but this song to me really works until this bit and then it gets like well why are we extending this now and letting kirk hammett do something he's done 15 times already yeah anyway
0: my next one is a 557 there's a A drum section into the tempo chain.
1: Literally exactly the same time code with exactly the same notes. Again, we, sir, are simpatico. It's so funny because we both mark that as a, it's such a good fill. Mm-hmm. But that literally, just as we pause it, like a second and a half before, then you get like stock, awful, like, but it's like, fuck off, man. Yeah. You're a football coach, right? I'm a soccer <laughs> coach. The most frustrating thing in the world is a player who has moments of brilliance and moments of absolute dog shit and not much in between. Like I like consistency. I want a 7 out of 10. I want most of my players to be better a 7 out of 10 most games. The 10 out of 10s and the 1 out of 10s who flip each week, it's tough, it's tough to coach those players because they really
0: can't depend on them. That's what this guy is. You don't like, know what you're going to get? In,
1: within, within 15
0: seconds of a fucking song. <laughs> Curse a little bit like that too on this song too. We're like, okay, that's really good. Oh that's, oh, that's too much. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, that's too much. <laughs> yeah him, him, and uh, Lars are kind of lockstep on this one. I think. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. If you go to six seventeen, I've got a comment because I think right I've got another edit for you, Corey. Okay. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make a suggestion, about how you could tighten this up and make it a little bit better at the end. Right. The ending's good. Yes. I think. Yep. I think there's a bunch of stuff in the solo, the hoodla hoodla thing we talked about. I think you can lose pretty much all of it and get the, because this song's, it's the longest song on the album, right? 650 is the longest one, I'm pretty sure.
0: Uh, I believe so. Let's see. There's a 644, 628. Yeah, 650 is the
1: longest. And it, it doesn't need to be this long. Yep. So I think you can tighten this up. And like I said, I've, I've given you an edit that you can sort of skip to and get close to the end.
0: Yeah, that was if miles ta- better. Miles better. Yeah. If you take the hoodle
1: hoodle out, because there's yeah. a natural transition point between he's got that tone, he's got that flange out tone, but when you drop it back into that ending, you just don't
0: need all that fluff in the middle. Yeah. I don't think. No, that uh, usually when you edit a song, it's terrible, but uh, it <laughs> really, really worked on this one, I thought. That, that was really good.
1: Well, you know what, folks? We'll publish this one on our social media because Corey approves this message.
0: That's right. The only one of this season so far. <laughs> All right. Uh, who went first on the first song? I think you did, didn't you? I. I think you did. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I'm you gonna go. go, go I'm gonna go on this one. Uh, My friend of misery played 21 times. I uh, really only played uh, whenever they did the black album. I can't even say front to black. Uh, front to black. Front to back. back to front. Yeah, they reversed it, which is a really cool way to do it. And because. It's- then fucking cool I love that it's brilliant right because then you start yeah. with The Struggle Within which is a great opener and then you end with Enter Sandman the biggest song from this record so yeah, really really cool how they do it um, this is probably my least favorite song uh, on the Black Album uh, musically I gave it a six and a half um, uh, too much hoodla hoodla for me and I usually like the hoodla hoodla <laughs> too much of it and too low in the mix uh, and, and Lars all over the fucking place all over the place so I gave it a six and a half uh, seven for lyrics for me uh, I, I really kind of like the, uh, uh, you know, the 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 theme of the song and, and the underlying riff I thought really worked really, really well. It's kind of unremarkable, though. Like, uh, James really elevates a lot of stuff. Uh, it's still well above average. I gave it a seven, but it's below kind of everything else on this record. And then production, I gave it a two. It's my only uh, sub half uh, for production on this record wow. because the, the mix is so bad on this record, uh, on this song. It, it's so out of whack. And thematically, if you're going to tell this story, they just completely reversed it. Uh, and, and that really bothered me kind of as a storyteller. Uh, it I like the meeting. It's really kind of weird. It's nothing special. It's my least favorite song on the record. I gave it six and a half, seven and two. Uh, Kevin Brown, uh, go ahead and throw some nines at me. I didn't think this was
1: going to go all the way it did, and I think we're going to be different on the next song too. But music nine for me, I fucking wow. love that bass line. I think right, it's baseline. fantastic. Yeah, I think the right. riff. yeah. Super simple riff, which works. The change up in the chorus is great. I actually think Lars plays this one pretty, pretty well. Like, I, I, I didn't really, I don't think I criticized him at all on this one. Again, okay, the volume is a production thing, it's not a playing thing. So, I think I just really quite like this song musically. Lyrics eight, they're not like, again, not top table Hatfield from what I've heard so far. Some fantastic individual lines, but he builds this one very well. Like, I think he he, he frames this out and, and carries the story along well. Production four, like I said, I think it's a minute too long. And so maybe I could have dropped the production a little bit here, but if you get rid of that hoodloodle section in the solo, which really kind of actually loses the mood of the song, right? Because the song's got a very specific thing. And that instrumental section, like I said, I fucking love the way the solo changes it, and the way that Kurt Cammer switches tones to sort of move the narrative along as you're we talking about musically um if you get rid of the like the, the hoodle hoodle at the end i think it's fucking awesome um i you know, what's the last note here
0: so you gave oh. it a four per production even though you just did an edit that improved the song quite a bit yeah but
1: okay but okay okay maybe i'll go three and a half i'm gonna go four because i think i think all right as well i'll defend this on the fly I don't think that this is the way that Bob Rock would have produced this. I think by this point, Lars Ulrich has just fucking worn everyone down. Everyone's scared of the studio, so this is how it is. You know what? Let's go three and a half. You're right. I think I think you're right. You you you've broken me, Corey. You've broken me. I'm gonna go three and a half.
0: Okay. Well, here's a uh, a quote from Bob Rock about this song. He said, "Quote: The song is all about a mood, which is very cinematic and feel. Metallica knows how to play to their strengths, dishing out raw power, but on this song we went for more of an atmosphere." Uh, it's ominous and it works. Well, he's uh, mostly right. It is ominous. I'm not sure it 100% works. I think he is right, but
1: it mainly the production notes on this. And I don't know whether it's a detraction or just because it's such a nitpicky and a very, again, a very subjective thing that I think this 100% should have been the album closer. Okay. I think you should finish with this one because I think that the, and especially if you do, you know, he says arrogantly, if you use my edit and finish on the way that song finishes, it just closes this out so well. and My Friend of Misery is a good sort of fuck off kind of moment in this. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just thematic. I think it works as a closer way better than the next song, which we're going to talk about. Well, so I'm... mine were 9, 8, and I went to 3.5. Corey wore me down, folks. I don't do it often. I've done it twice maybe before in Genesis. I've gone down to 3.5, so.
0: We are going to agree that uh, there should have been a different closer uh, on this side. I- I'd be okay with My Friend of Misery with a couple of tweaks. Uh, okay. The one that failed actually may have been a better closer. But um, we're going to get into the actual album closer here. Uh, This is a little ditty uh, played 20 times. Again, probably only played whenever they did the Black Album uh, back to front. Uh, This is a song called The Struggle Within.
1: Do you hate that symbol as much as I do? The tone yeah. of it. Yeah, it's not a good symbol. Yeah. It sounds like he's hitting tinfoil wrapped in chicken breasts. He loves like, that it's, sound. It's fucking does, awful. He
0: does that all the time. He 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 gets that that inverted crash or that reverse crash. And he just loves that fucking thing. I think I wonder if it's you know, I'm
1: kind of curious if it's a China symbol that he's playing there or it's probably just the way he wants it mixed. I mean, you know, ride the lightning or St. Anger or these albums where there were production issues with Lars Ulrich saying, I want the drums to sound this way. He doesn't have an engineer's ear. We can all agree that that Lars Ulrich should not be involved in the way that drums sound. Yep. As a drummer that's a worry because you should you know, be able to know how you want the fucking drums to sound yep. but it seems to be a thing with him. That is the, the drums on this track sound well I'm going to show my hand they sound fucking awful through most of this track for me and that symbol is so reedy and tinny and just like fucking hell really that's what you went for when on the rest of this album his crash sounds great in a lot of places yeah and that's what you like fucking hell and that you know the, the marching band snare thing okay yeah whatever uh, you know to caution i the, this philosopher twain yeah i don't impress me much you know
0: <laughs> i i guess that's a way to open a song yeah sure why not <laughs> uh, it it doesn't fit anything else within the song. But yeah, his symbols are have always been a little off. He he loves that reverse crash for some reason. He, like he counts just nowadays, dreadful. he counts in every song with it, and it it, it sounds terrible. I, I've never understand the appeal of that fucking thing. Well, it's
1: when he does that. That's his that's his uh his hat. He's just holding yeah. his hat. his sloppy hats, and it's
0: it's not even it's, a hat. No, it's, it's that reverse crash. He loves hitting that to start. Oh, like, he, is that what he's yeah. playing? Yeah, yeah, he's counting in with that. Oh, right, okay. His hats uh, oh, actually yeah. sound better than that. His upside, the upside, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, just... Not a musician. <laughs> I knew what you were going to say. I had to censor you out there. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> Reaching out for something you got to feel. Or clutching the what you thought was real. Kicking at a dead off, pleases you. No way you're showing your gratitude.
0: All right, so the legend of this song is it was written uh, on the last day of of, uh, studio recording for the Black Album. Uh, James uh, had admitted he completely ran out of steam and and said the struggle with it is really about the trouble he had coming up with words for the song. (laughs) And and you kind of get here like kicking out a dead horse pleases you, no way of showing your gratitude, so many things you don't want to do. What is it? What have you got to lose? It's kind of that same a vernacular right He just he's grasping yeah eyes. and i mean
1: the irony is that he, he didn't win the struggle <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's better than i could come up with it. if i was if i had one side uh, Corey, no i think oh man if i, I just record to come up with something better than this if i had just written eight like killer tracks for an album and i had like one left to go i'd be like oh fuck.
1: well we'll get into the length of this album I think once we wrap up, because we're not far away from wrapping up now, we've got one song left and we're getting it. Yeah. But I think that there's there's, there's the, you know, the, what's it called? The fucking, oh, for Christ's sakes, my brain's gone, Corey. The law of diminishing returns, right? When you've done something so much, eventually, it, it, that's what you get back from what you're putting in, the balance changes. And I think this song really highlights that they were done now. But do you need 12 songs? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It depends on how you sequence the album. But I think this is, you know, we'll get into it at the end, but uh, I'm, I'm going to show my hand. I think this is a B-side at best for me. So.
0: I put it maybe a little bit above uh, a B-side because I, I love it whenever you yell, what the hell, at a song. I, I, and you throw out some hypocrites that 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 section kind of worked for me so
1: really what the hell what the hell what is it you think you're gonna find hypocrite hypocrite bottom sets into the bottom boor- bottom sets into the boring man is not a bad line but other than that that is all place all the lyrics to me that's <laughs> like I'll just leave those in there and I'll write something better and okay fuck man' last day of recording fuck it I'll just sing those fuck it well let's get out of here you know you' It's a guy working hard, man. This is a guy who's just trying to come up with fucking something. But struggle within again, it's sort of there's that there's a few oh, I mean, two or three times maybe on this album we think they've he's got an idea there, the struggle within it's a good idea it's a sound premise it's something you can build a song out from but whether we just had to write them in two hours or an hour or just kind of get this last fucking song finished it's just not the idea's not fleshed out
0: well and the next verse is not a good one Uh, let's check it out
2: yeah that's that's that, that
0: that that's maybe the weakest passage on the whole record <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know what you said we we were talking about um nothing else matters where Hetfield's in a space where he delivers a vocal and a a, a lyric that is uh, you you hundred percent buy into it start to finish you you're there this has got that ring of uh, yeah it, this, this is just someone singing words yeah and i don't care and he he doesn't care about them and neither do i right
0: and, and you like always, it's just you love ripping on the rhyme scream. how about using hell uh in two different lines uh, the first line and the last line
1: i mean it's a thing that you can do it's a convention you can do in in writing but here it's it is just like dude i got nothing else this is what you get What's yeah. he? What did he said to Bob Rock? If you think you can write, better, you fucking write him, then you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Maybe, maybe Bob Rock should have sat down and tweaked.
0: <laughs> Bob Rock did write the classic "Dirty Water" uh, from the group Rock and Hide. Oh, give it a listen.
1: Okay, Corey just went to do his ablutions. You know, we have a we've got on Zoom. We call it a biology break these days, right, Corey?
0: Well, it, it's been you know three three and a half hours since we started recording here tonight. <laughs>
1: So, we were talking about, I was talking about, you know, maybe Bob Rock should have contributed maybe to James's fatigue with lyrics. And Corey sent me a song called Dirty Water by the payolas which was written by Bob Rock. And I take it all back because this is the biggest steaming pile of absolute fucking cat shit that I've read in, well, I mean, I I, I don't know, I think Spanked and Up well, for Breakfast a better look than this. And... Exhibit A, ladies and gentlemen, I swear I've seen your face before. It's been inside my open door. I'm sure I played this game before. Pay a little bit now, then later more. That's shit. Yep. Um. And if I wash my hands in your dirty water, will your religion make me clean? Very profound. And if <laughs> I wet my feet in your dirty water, will I be will I be blind for all I? See? I mean, could the fuck what what?
3: Yeah. I wash my hands in your dirty water, then your religion
1: I have definitely written lyrics as bad as that. I've got most of them written down somewhere, and I've never even dreamed of showing them to anyone, let alone fucking recording them.
0: That's the and yeah, that was actually Rock and Hide. That was a uh, not even yeah. the Pale. It was oh, an sorry, offshoot yeah. of the Paleos. The Paleos did Eyes of a Stranger. Uh, in her lips, I sense a danger. You've got the eyes of a stranger. Like the Paleos were yeah, terrible. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Rock and Hide is terrible. Like there's a reason why Bob Rock's music career didn't take off. Until he became a producer because he couldn't Dear write anything. And he couldn't perform it
1: No. Wash my hands in your dirty water. Just fucking drain the sink and put more water in there, you stupid cunt. It, Jesus. It,
0: what's it, wrong with you? Yeah, water's not really scarce unless you live in like the desert. No, if you're in Vegas, sure. Like it's got. He lives me. in California. <laughs> my God, man. Oh, my Lord. Anyway. That's the section where the Cardinal would say, Oh, there's nothing musical about that. It's all hoodla hoodla. I love that solo. That solo saves almost this entire song for me. There is good hoodla hoodla
1: and there is bad hoodla hoodla. That is fucking great hoodla hoodla because yes. that's Satriani hoodla hoodla. Oh, good there's call. There's so many Satch licks in that fucking thing that he just played there. Those little pinch harmonics and the, the little runs he does.
0: Fantastic playing. Love it. Yep. Good call. Uh, to me, a lot of this song is saved by that solo. 100% yeah and then whenever they do a hard stop and James yells go
2: oh that's good stuff
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. go <laughs> where's this fucking riff been this whole song
1: <laughs> the fucking why you, why is this just turning up now
0: three minutes, in, Christ. You're three minutes into a 354 song
1: yeah. <laughs> oh I can't help. Bob, Uh, you were asleep at the wheel, you motherfucker.
0: I'm sorry I cut (laughs) you off there. I'm in your dirty water. I always always wanted to yell go and then kick into a Metallica riff, so that's why I cut you off there. My apologies. (laughs) That's my bad. It's all good. It's all good.
1: You know, at 3.47, we got a pretty good ending in the song, Corey. Yeah, I'm sure we move forward to that. Again, if you're going to do Ratatat,
2: do it like that.
1: Great ending. I love that ending. And, you know, as a closer, I'm okay with that, but I still think that uh, My Friend of Misery is a better closer.
0: It's, it's it's a great ending to the song. I don't know if it's a great ending to the record. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. My Friend of Misery, even The God That Failed, I think would have been better album closers, but that is a good ending to the song. Uh, so we have The Struggle Within played 20 times uh, live. Um, yeah, Like James said, he kind of ran out of steam uh it's also indicative of the anger he was feeling at the time and yep. his struggle to deal with it uh james heffield actually said quote i'm no psychiatrist but it's right there <laughs> and, and he's not wrong uh musically uh, i think i liked it probably a little more than you i gave it a seven and a half for music uh that solo was fucking killer like it is so good mm. uh great elements of the song musically Uh, lyrics i gave it a six and i was maybe generous on the lyrics uh there there was little passages i like little passages i hate and i kind of balanced them out and that's how i kind of arrived at a six uh still probably my lowest score i think on the entire album for lyrics uh was on this song and uh production i gave it a three uh it's a little bit above average there's nothing spectacular about this uh the music was good lyrics were not great it was saved by a great solo uh classic album track uh, a little bit better than My Friend of Misery uh, by Not By Much. So I gave it seven and a half, six, and three. Kevin, what were your grades on this one? Well, you're wrong on uh, this being better than My Friend of Misery because it just isn't. But oh, I didn't say it was. But, did I say it was better? You just you said it was better than My Friend of Misery. Musically, yeah. musically, it is. Lyrically, it's not. It, it, it kind of God. balances out.
1: This. I'm going to go reverse order. I went production two because I think this is probably the only song on the album that I think just sounds fundamentally bad. I just think I think the mix is just fucking awful on this song.
0: More so than my friend of misery, really.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I think not. I'm not talking about like arrangement or the other things we tag into production. Just the levels of everything, the, the snare and the symbols on this song. Why have you changed the way the drums sound on one song on the album? That's just so weird. That's just such a weird thing to do. The symbols sound like, I mean, they're so bad in those spots. Like you said, we that, that we're doing that. And I don't know if Lars can play a a cymbal swell because you can either... Are you playing mallets or are you doing that with your sticks or do you know how to... Anyway, and it just doesn't sound cohesive with the rest of the album to me. So two for production. I went four for lyrics because it's like, yeah, Hetfield, man, if you're out of ideas, then maybe this is an instrumental then to close the album and do something like fucking Kurt going nuts on guitar or something because I just don't give a fuck about any of these lyrics. They're just crap
0: well and, um uh on the japanese release they had a bonus track on this record and oh yeah was, i've uh, heard it a cover of so what by the anti-nowhere league uh, i don't know what yeah. your thoughts on that one are. I, i'm not a huge fan of that one but would you prefer that over the struggle within
1: no i'd i'd prefer uh three and a half minutes of cats being fucking <laughs> stretched along a, a rack than yeah that's just Come on, I mean, really? It's, oh, it's, fuck it's you, bad. fuck you, screw you, yeah. fuck this, fuck that. Like, grow up, anyway. But music, five point five, because again, it's get ready with the button. It's pretty stock stuff.
2: I think it's fucking stock. What? Which part of that is
1: unclear to you? It just doesn't interest me at all until that riff at the end, and then you think, "Fuck off, really?" Build a song around that because <laughs> you've got something. <laughs> Fuck you, Morissette. I will not be silent. <laughs> this is censorship. <laughs> I'm being, being cancelled live on it. Yeah, I just, it's a very phoned in, like, weak end to an album that clearly they were done with because it was a hard process. Everyone was pissed off. It was, it took a long time to get over the line. I, you get that. So just don't do that then. Don't record this song. Yeah. Make 11 songs. Yeah, know, one could be 11 songs, right? So, anyway. Yeah, so just, yeah, so what did I go with? I went in the music 5.5, lyrics 4, production 2. Might be my lowest ranked one, I think.
0: What were your uh, totals on uh, side D of this record?
1: Okay, so side D, I'm at seven seven and 2.5, so 16 and a half. I think it's, it's by far the weakest side of the album. I really like um, My Friend of Misery. I think you could tighten it up and make it a better song than it already is but I think the core of that song is really good. The other two songs I just think are just real filler.
0: All right, so you were at 16.5 out of 25. That's uh, 66%. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, my overall for the two sides we've done well, hold in on, the last hold on, two hold weeks. Hold on, hold on.
0: Oh, hold on, hold on. Fuck Fucking me. hell, sorry, Jesus. I got to give my side D, like, you know, quit giving Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, so you're, you're way off. You said 16.5 out of 25? Yeah. My ended up being 17.5 out of 25. I actually gave it 7.5 uh, for music, a half point higher than you. Uh, lyrics were dead on at 7. And uh, production, I gave it half point higher than you. So you were 16.5. Uh, I was 17.5. So you're 66%. I'm 70%. Yeah. Uh, so really pretty close on side D. So when we average side C and side D, I'll do mine first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was an 8 a seven-and-a-half, and a three. So that gives me 18.5 out of 25 uh, for the average of the uh, two sides. So uh, that is below, well below, by side A, B uh, average, which was 23. I was 18-and-a-half. Uh, yeah. What were your side C and D averages? Average overall for sides uh,
1: 3 and 4 or C and D are seven, is 17.5. So it's not like – which is weird because we talked about this on the um, – the album rap, or sorry, the season rap for last season, that the format of the show plays fucking tricks with you. Because I think that side one and two are definitely, like overall, if I take them as, you know, six songs and compare those six songs to these six songs, I think, well, the first six songs are much stronger than the last six uh, second six songs. But I came in at sixteen point f- or 17.5 here, where side one and two was 19.5, so only two points higher, which I would have thought would probably have been a bigger gap but my overall between the two you know my overall sides one and two and sides three and four is 36 out of 50 which is as you said like it's it's higher
0: than i thought it might be i got you at 37 over 50 because you had 19 and a half and 17 and a half well then i just can't count which tracks 37 yeah you're right so you're an idiot did did you want to retake i'm going to leave this in but you, you can redo it if you want yeah, no, I, I insist that you leave this in, and I insist
1: that you go fuck yourself. As that's, you know, I insist both of <laughs> you're, those things. You're,
0: you're not, well, I insist you go eat a bag of dicks, because... <laughs> is that a
1: brand, or is
0: that, like, it the It is, is for like... me, yeah. I, I, I didn't coin it, but I'm taking ownership of it, so... Uh, like, if if Randy's the cardinal of the church of go fuck yourself, what did I say? I, I'm, like, the deacon or something of the church uh go eat a giant bag of dicks, so...
1: Look out, it's spring 2024. Corey Morissette's Podcast Universe releases a bag of dicks (laughs) in salt and vinegar and cheese and onion, and I don't know which one's (laughs) worse.
0: All right, well, uh, if I'm doing my math correctly, and of course I am, uh, because I'm much smarter than Kevin, uh, our official (laughs) album total for the Black Album, and this kind of surprises me. I thought we'd be over 80%, but we're not. 78.5 is our final uh, album score uh, on this one because I was uh, ultimately my entire thing was 41.5 out of 50 and you were 37
1: I've dragged you down Corey I've dragged you down to my level
0: oh I tell you it's...
1: yeah I mean I, I I gotta say like I like I said I mean I'm I'm I wasn't I wasn't expecting to like this album as much as I did or certainly there's like even in the songs I don't like I always manage to find something that I thought that's really fucking cool you know, there's the last song we did, you know. Um, this is not a good sign when you've forgotten the song you just talked about. The Struggle Within. <laughs> there's a couple of good moments in that song. That last riff, you're like, fucking dude, come on, let's use that riff. Every song I found something in, I've totally fucking reversed course on Hatfield as a singer. I think he's a great singer. Um, is he my favorite singer of all time? No, but I'm a lot more like, oh, yeah, this guy's got something to say and he can and knows how to say it. I just, I'm just really kind of surprised at myself and also really looking forward to getting into load and reload because I know that those are the two albums that even like even nineties year Metallica fans go, Oh, I don't know about all of that. So, you know,
0: I, I tell you, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you have some really high highs, uh, on, we're doing load next folks. Uh, so we go from 91 yeah. all the way to 96, uh, where, where we get songs like, uh, ain't my bitch. Where If you're not a fan of, of, of James's, uh, uh, James Ism's, Bit and that's the Elm opener. But you got stuff like "Until It Sleeps" and "King Nothing" and "Bleeding Me." Uh, good, good stuff on here. And, and Ronnie, I know one of our listeners actually said, "Wait till you get to Ronnie." And uh, I know you were kind of looking forward to to, to, to checking that one out.
1: I was going to say, like, because you know, I do the the music for the the episode, which you heard at the start. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, so I'm picking off Load and Reload kind of blind and f- looking for things that I kind of think, that's kind of cool. And Ronnie was one of the tracks I thought was like, oh, yeah, something different I like about yeah, that. So, good. you know, we'll get there when we get there, but I'm I'm kind of, you know, Ronnie's okay. As long as it's not
0: about Ronnie Reagan, in which case, <laughs> fuck that guy, so, you know. <laughs> oh, but you get stuff like Cure in Poor Twisted Me and, oh, the, the, this is really going to be something. 14 tracks on this record. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, we are going Un- on a journey. Unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> however before we get there you, you you sent me a link do you want to set this up mm-hmm.
1: so I was looking like again I mean I like doing the research for this kind of stuff and sitting around looking what I can find and a lot of it is really confirmation bias about you know Lars and all that kind of stuff and you can think okay well I'm trying to be gentle with that but then when you get stuff like this that you're going to play it kind of makes me like metallica and again like hetfield he's got a bit of a sense of humor so they went on to jimmy kimmel and did the whole you know mean tweets thing but these were all the one-star reviews from amazon and Excellent. it's each of the band reading these one-star reviews and they are
0: fabulous all right they're so funny let's check it out hey we're metallica we're
2: here to read one-star reviews from amazon of the black album they're right in there the black album, I call it the album. This is by far one of the most loathsome crimes ever committed against music.
3: Thank you sh- for sharing that opinion.
2: Face it, people. This album sucks. Anybody who thinks this horrible, atrocious, self-titled Suckorama <laughs> CD is worth four or five stars must be brain dead from smoking crack. Ouch. This album sucks. Sad but true. I bought this when it came out. I was horrified when I listened to it. I threw it off a bridge and watched a truck smash it. Metallica's Coffin. The Black Album was the dictionary definition of a sellout. I have more respect for Michael Bolton than Metallica. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, Michael Bolton. The Black Album was a really lousy album, which had some of the lousiest songs. Don't buy any album from this band. They are lousy. Buy a Dire Straits or Foreigner CD instead. Foreigner Metallica, wow. sucks. Metallica, sucks. Metallica <laughs> sucks. Metallica sucks. Metallica sucks. Metallica, <laughs> sucks. Metallica <laughs> sucks. Metallica 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 are junk. <You're> left <laughs> on. One of the Metallica sucks. Oh, okay. that oh yeah, the one with the, the, that one, the, the period. period. Metallica sucks.
0: Disaster.
2: <laughs> Would rather see Metallica be broken penniless on welfare than see them as they are today. This is a nightmare. All I can say is it's sad, pathetic. What the (laughs) f*** are we doing?
0: (laughs) Hey, Jimmy, here's your phone back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Those are unnecessarily harsh, I think. Yeah,
1: and I mean, okay, so that's the thing, right? I mean, I brought that up because it's funny and it's comedy and God love Metallica for just joining in. And I think that's the thing where, I always, I don't always love heavy metal because heavy metal takes itself a little bit seriously. Oh, yeah. Where they were going to go on this show and they're going to get trashed and they know and they're having fun with it. You know, you can be a dick online. And, look, dude, I've been a dick online plenty, you know, for comedic effects, whatever. But I think that what we're doing, you know, we're sitting down and we're actually listening to these songs and I'm coming in from the non-Metallica fan standpoint. If you're going to do that, if you're going to feed back to a band like that, just tell them why you think, oh, I don't like the snare sound. Or I'd think that this song is too long. Because just being a dick
0: online, fuck off, you know? Yeah, it's hard to take criticism like that seriously. This is atrocious. Well, define atrocious. What What did you find so atrocious about it? Yeah. Was it the lyrics? Was it the music? What was it? And that that's the main problem I had with, well, really with any bands like Die Hard, was like Van Halen had the same thing. I love Dave's stuff. I hate Sammy's stuff. Why? Why? It's still Eddie. Eddie's still writing all the music. Is, but it's it, not Dave! It's not Dave, man! Right. Yeah, and, it's, and, and yeah. Dave wrote some garbage lyrics, and Sammy wrote some garbage lyrics. The the common thread was Eddie Van Halen wrote some pretty fucking good music. And it's kind of the same thing with Metallica, so they, they, they kind of elevated their game. Like, yeah. you know, the first four albums were one thing, and this album had a lot of elements of that one thing, and then they expanded on it. Uh, you, either you go with that or you don't, but it, explain why like you can't oh just it it sucks like every song sucks well that's not true that's objectively not true right like you, absolutely you, you can't just blanket statement an entire album oh it just sucks no like you, you're just going into it with with, with a, a closed mind and closed eyes and that's why i want to make you do def leppard in season three because i think you're going <laughs> in with those same <laughs> preconceptions uh on a band that's actually pretty fucking decent they write good tunes they write good melodies they sing better than any than most bands out there today. Uh, y- you could say, sure, the Mutt Lang production on it is a little too glossy and all that shit. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. But they're catchy tunes. And, and you can't just, oh, they just suck. No, why do they suck? And you're going to find stuff in there that you like. And you found stuff in this you like. And what I found interesting yeah, man. was, Absolutely. It, uh, I'm going to dub this the Duke effect because you had this where you were grading the songs on Duke and you graded it lower than you thought you would. And you said, well, actually, I would give that side much higher. Uh, ju- just by, you know, overall feel. But when you break down the songs, you didn't. And we kind of went with that. Side C and D of Metallica is the same for me. I gave it an 18 and a half out of 25. I thought for sure I'd be in the 20, like 20, 21, maybe a little bit lower than the first two because I like a lot of those songs. But when you objectively grade those songs out, it came out a little bit lower. So it- it's kind of that Duke effect. And I'm kind of surprised, I'm still surprised that we're under 80% on the Black Album, because it's a really, really solid record. You put this on front to back, all the way through, you're going to have a good time, right? When, when you're when you're cherry-picking songs, you're like, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this song today. I'm going to do this song an hour from now. Like it's, it's You're not listening to the entire experience front to back, or back to front if you're listening to it in concert when they do it that way, which is a really <laughs> cool way to do it. But I, I'm shocked we're under 80%. This is one of the biggest, one of the most highly regarded records of all time, not just heavy records, but like rock records yeah and, and we're 78.5 and you, had i been it's you know that's oh this is easy 85 86 right but then i, I kind of look at the breakdown of the songs and I, I'm, I'm just not there like i i was 78 on on side c and, and side d I was, I was right around the 78 mark and that's criminal to me but that's how it graded out when you just break down the songs but and that's the thing right that's again like i said i mean what we
1: pointed out on the season uh rap episode four or five weeks ago is that the format of this show the way we've set this up or the way that sorry the way that you set this up Corey, because this was your brainchild it's brilliant is you you it takes it takes out so much of that bias it eliminates and it really forces you to be like like i said yeah genesis i was like fuck it really i only rated this like an 80 really it's one of my favorite albums but then when you sit back you're like oh well yeah but that song's just filler so you know what you could say is okay well do we then wait things You know, because you could say, do you weight it by length? Do you weight it by whether it was a single? Because, you know, this album, I think what you could say is that Enter Sandman, The Unforgiven, Nothing Else Matters, and Sad But True carry a lot of the weight of this album. They, you know, if you look at, like you say, you look at the Spotify playlist, right? Enter Sandman, 836 million. Sad But True, 190 million. Uh, Unforgiven, 723 million. Uh, nothing else matters. One point seven billion. The rest together is less than a hundred million.
0: Well, and you can throw it wherever I may roam in there too, because that was a single, and it's over two hundred million plays on YouTube Music. I, I just
1: try and forget that one. I just that's I, a good I, that's my ginger-headed stepchild. So you know,
0: fuck you. You're just sitting here
2: <laughs> being a complete dick.
1: Okay, so here's what I want to throw at you, Corey. And I like doing this sometimes because I think that this album's it's. <sighs> It's got a bit of bloat to it, I think. And I think it's that that ambition where it's like, okay, let's go in, write all these songs, and we know it was an arduous process, 18 months, and they just got caught in this cycle of trying to come up with stuff and throwing as many ideas at the wall as they can. And I think that they somewhere they lost the idea that, well, let's make this as tight as we can. So I want to throw something at you. How about this? If I lose four songs off this album and give you a different side A and side B, side A, enter Sandman, Sad But True, The Unforgiven, Don't Tread On Me. Side B, Nothing Else Matters, The God That Failed, A Wolf of Man, My Friend of Misery. I think as eight songs, that becomes a way better album.
0: You're losing some good stuff, though. Like, I like Holier Than Thou.
1: You're losing good moments. I don't think you're losing the... Holier Than Thou, you know, where, uh, Wherever I May Roam, that riffing Wherever I May Roam is fantastic, but the song for me just it meanders through the never the uh, struggle
0: within you lose those ones i don't know man I, i'm i'm better on through the never and struggle within i i can't lose wherever i may roam i love that tune and i really like holier than thou right and, and a wolf of man i really like too so i wouldn't want to lose that one so i i'd I've say... got a, I, we're not losing the wolf of man that's okay. on there okay sorry i, I couldn't remember uh, i would say you want to cut two and make it to 10 i'm, I'm fine with that but even with 12 it's only 62 minutes like uh Sure, it doesn't all fit on one LP, but it yeah, fits easily. Yeah, vinyl unsuit. nerds, Corey. I always mm-hmm. I always sequence for vinyl, you know that. So if we're losing too, I'm kind of cool with uh, Through the okay. Never uh, and uh, Struggle With It. I'm, I'm okay with those two.
1: Yeah, so I think though that it exposes the... Again, I mean, I actually really quite like this album now that I've listened to it lots mm-hmm. Um There's so many good moments on it. And it's funny because this is the fifth album right that they Sixth. released uh
0: fifth, i think it's yeah, still oh, yeah your fifth correct
1: i think it's still i think it shows still though there's they're still they're still growing they're not done yet they're not finished oh totally. they're not sort of locked into they're not metallica yet they're still growing yep. which is i, I like that eh? when a band's not fully formed yet great and, and it, it shows it, you've still got some place to go right so, and
0: evolving and they evolve big time going into the next two
1: before we get to the next two oh yeah to wrap up this episode quickly We have to do our big four.
0: (laughs) Quickly. Good call.
1: So it's my turn to give you the big four. That's right. He says. I scored one last week, which means that I think I'm ahead five to four, right?
0: That is correct. Yep, five to four. So
1: you've got to get at least two this week to take the lead back. So here are your big four. Okay. Metallica, of course. Rod Stewart. Rush. And Whitney Houston.
0: All right. Okay. I'm going to go... Whitney Houston number one, I mean the okay. Bodyguard soundtrack alone, I, I think is going to put her number one. Right, so I'm going to go Whitney Houston one, and then we're going to go Metallica two, Rod Stewart three, and Rush four.
1: So you've got you've got Whitney Houston first, yes, ahead of Metallica,
0: ahead of Metallica,
1: and ahead of Rod Stewart. Yep. Okay. And you've got Rush Bottom. I do. Okay. Well, I can tell you, um, much to my fucking chagrin that you got all four again, you fucker. Shut up! No way. One, two, three, four, all of them. Whitney Houston, twenty five point two or oh, two million, Metallica, twenty four point five, Roger, thirteen point three, and Rush a paltry, three point seven three. Wow. Millions back of the police who are the best poetry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> next is to easy top. we should i should next to triumph triumph (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) i just wanted to see the look on your face i'm shocked i i thought for sure i i i I set up and i thought oh fuck i'm zero for four you nailed it oh my god that's unreal so i'm at eight and you're at five yeah Wow. hey
1: never never rule out a fucking underdog with bad teeth (laughs) we some we sometimes come good. But hey, look, that wraps up the Black Album. Um, next, we go on to load and reload. Um, so thanks for listening in. Hope you enjoyed this. I've enjoyed it, and I know Corey's enjoyed it. Join us again next week when we look at side one of an album with a really weird album cover load. Uh, come check us out on social media at Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter and Blue Sky. Uh, check my other shows, The Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review. If you want to find me on Twitter and come shout at me, I am at Kev Brown Canada. Corey, where can the people find you?
0: Uh, you can find me at CD Morissette on Twitter and you can find me on my other shows and the podcast will rock, breaking, breaking down the Van Halen catalog and backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. Uh, talking all things Aerosmith.
1: There we go. You go look at Corey, go listen to his stuff, go, uh, go engage and immerse yourself in the Corey Morissette podcast universe. It's a wonderful extended family that has a lot of uh, interesting nooks and crannies that you can lose yourself in. Don't come and check out my stuff because there are far fewer nooks and crannies and a bit more bullshit. So until we come back again and talk about a new album next week, you go enjoy yourselves and we're recording this your Christmas. Hope you all had a fantastic Christmas, great new year, and you're ready for the next season. No, not a season. Next album in the Ultimate Catalog Clash.